want to welcome you here this morning. So glad that you're here. Also those of you joining us online. And uh, we're going through verse by verse the book of James. Today's text is chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. So uh, if you're already there, I'll ask you to stand if you're able. If not, where you're seated is fine. Uh, You can follow along as I read the text. James, by the Holy Spirit, continues verse 10 and says, For whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act, verse 12, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray, if you would please join with me. Father in heaven, we have before us a passage of Scripture that rises to the level of needing the Holy Spirit to give us eyes of understanding, to see that which you desire to show to us today. Lord, every word is in your word for a reason. Sometimes it's for correction and exhortation, sometimes for encouragement, but other times for rebuke. And certainly this would seem to be one of those passages. And that's why we need for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide today. Lord, the Holy Spirit has to get our attention and hold our attention. That's not up to me so that we don't miss anything that you desire to minister to us in this text that we have before us today. So Lord, we commit our time together in your word to you. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus name, Amen and Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about mercy and the importance of being merciful to others. So here we go again, right? James, true to form, by the Holy Spirit, just head on, hits the proverbial nail on the head when it comes to mercy. And we're provided with no less than three reasons as to why it is that being merciful to others is of paramount importance. Namely, that we're all in desperate need of it. 
will be rewarded for it, and perhaps more importantly, will be judged according to it. So let's start with our desperate need of mercy in verses 10 and 11. Here James is reinforcing how that the sin of showing favoritism, which he just got done talking about, convicts us by the law, making all of us lawbreakers, guilty of breaking the whole law. Wait a minute, the whole law? Yeah. No, I just broke that law. No, 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 no. The whole law. Well, what do you mean? Well, this is very important because it speaks to the principle of being a lawbreaker slash sinner in need of a Savior. The best illustration I've ever heard on this is that of breaking one link in the chain, breaks the whole chain. Yeah, but I just, I only broke that one link. Yeah, but the whole chain's broken. It's the same thing with the law. So you can't get away with this thing of, well, I, I broke that commandment, but I didn't break that other one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure God's going to give you a pass on that one. Yeah, you did. You broke the whole law. What's the point? Why is James emphasizing this and harping on this, I guess you could say? Well, the reason is, is because he's needing to establish that we're all lawbreakers. We've all broken God's law. If you broke just one, you broke them all. Doesn't matter which one. You're a lawbreaker. And that's why you desperately need God's mercy. You know how we pray, God, be merciful to me. Oh, I, I will show you mercy, but there's a but. <laughs> you first have to come to that place where you realize that you are in need of mercy. Why am I in need of mercy? Because I have broken your law. I'm throwing myself at your mercy, and in so doing, I level the playing field, as it were, so that I cannot look at you. I'm trying to be careful not to look at anybody in particular, because you're going to think, oh, he's looking at me. So I'll just look down. I, I, can, I can be so guilty, for lack of a better word, of looking at you and seeing you as being more guilty than me. Because I just, you know, I, I'm guilty of this, but you're guilty of that. And James is like, uh, no, <laughs> you're not going to get away with that. You are in as much need for mercy as they are, because all of us are lawbreakers. So now that we've established that, let's talk about this. We need to talk about mercy. And that's our second one in verse 12. 
we will be rewarded for it. I'm in desperate need of it, but I will be rewarded for it. And that's where James goes next. What he says here is very interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that there still remains a law. The law that remains is the law that gives freedom. Oh, is this a different law? Yes. Well, what law is this? Well, this is the law that every believer will be judged by. Wait, what? We're going to be judged? Yes. It's the judgment seat of Christ. There's the Bema seat of judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Believe you me, you don't want to be at the other one. You want to be at this one. Picture this judgment as the judge that rewards at a sporting event. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is. It's the law judged by the judge where he rewards according to that which we have done. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Why is this important? Because there is coming a day when we will stand before Him and we will be judged according to that which we did while here on earth. Now, thank God for 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because when this goes down, <laughs> there's going to be this fire. And all of the things that were done in the flesh are going to be consumed by this fire. But there's also going to be another pile and that's going to be all of the things that we did that we're going to be rewarded for. And those are the precious jewels that are made more valuable by that same fire. So this is when we get our rewards. You know, I was thinking about this in anticipation of teaching this passage. And I tell you, I, I have to confess that every time I think about this one simple truth, it just, it, it stuns me. And I'll explain why. We have such a short period of time in this life, call it 70 years, that's fine. Three score and 10, as they say. So let's just say for purpose of discussion that we have 70 years in this life. And that's 70 years, when it's all said and done, that's it. The file's closed. And whatever you did in that period of time will determine how you spend, not time, eternity. 
now I can kind of hear the wheels turning, <laughs> especially the ones that are squeaking, because you've got to process that, right? So you're telling me that, okay, I've got, we're going to call it 70 years, and whatever I did in that time frame will determine what I do for all eternity. Wow, how lopsided is that? Hey, I better get busy, because, you know, I, I turned 60 this year. <laughs> Lord, come quickly. He will, by the way. But time's running out, and I've got little time. What little time I have left, I can invest that time in eternity. I can lay out for myself treasures in heaven, Jesus said in Matthew 6, where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thief cannot break in and steal. Because where my treasure is, that's where my heart will be also. So as one said so aptly, soon one life will be passed, and only that which was done for Christ will last. So we're there at this judgment seat, and I've got two piles, the things I did for the Lord, for the kingdom, for eternity, and the things I did in the flesh. I'm thinking that pile is going to take a little bit longer to burn. And don't look at me all spiritual. Your, your pile is going to be big too. So. So that gets all consumed. But then I come over here and I'm thinking, man, I wish I would have added more to that pile. Because see, now it's, it's too late. Because all of eternity now is going to be predicated upon that which I did for the Lord, for eternity, in light of eternity, to further His kingdom. That pile should have been bigger. And for all eternity, I'm going to be recompensed, rewarded accordingly. And notice Paul is careful by the Holy Spirit to qualify it, saying that you're going to be rewarded whether good or bad. Ah, I wish it was just the good. You know, because the judges in a sporting event, like the Olympics, for example, the judges, you know, there at the judgment seat after you've completed, you've finished the race, then they give you your score, or as Paul would refer to it and compare it, the crown, the wreath that they would give to the winner, a wreath that doesn't last. And Paul's like, no, that they go into that much training and that much discipline for a reward that doesn't last. What I'm talking about is a reward, a crown that lasts for all of eternity. And it's going to be based on what I did down here on earth. Now, again, to put it into perspective, and this is why I always just get so convicted, really, and stunned by this. Imagine 70 years in comparison to eternity. 
In other words, had I known then what I know now, I would have done something different then because of what I know now. So here I am, I'm in eternity and whatever I did, that determines my eternity for all eternity. And you know how long eternity is, right? I know it's deeply profound, but it's eternity. It's forever, for all of eternity. And so James is establishing this foundational, fundamental principle about how we treat one another here will determine our eternity in heaven forever. And this brings us to the third one that I want to spend the remainder of our time on, and I wanted to save as much time as possible, because we're going to need it. It's in verse 13. We are judged according to it. I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what James is saying here concerning mercy being proportionate. By that I mean those who judge without mercy will not be shown mercy by virtue of the fact that mercy triumphs over judgment. Stay with me. In other words, the measure I use to judge and show mercy to others is the same measure that's used to judge and show mercy to me. So here's an illustration. I've got this gauge, this litmus test if you prefer. And this is the gauge by which I measure, judge you, determine whether or not to show you mercy. This is, this is my mercy meter. Can we call it that? Oh really? That's the that's the gauge that you're going to use to judge others? Let me see that thing. Because that's the gauge I'm going to use to judge you. Oh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's uh, revisit this. You mean to tell me that the measure that I show mercy to you will be the measure that is used to show mercy to me? Yes. Well, that's kind of a game changer, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's the whole point of what James is saying here. Hey, listen, you, you pray. I know I pray. Lord, oh, be merciful to me. Oh, really? And then sure enough, here comes the email. God at gmail.com. Oh, you got one of those too, yeah? And it has an attachment, huge file. It's a file of all of the times that I did not show mercy to others. And God's like, you're asking for mercy, and yet you've not shown mercy. In fact, you've not only not shown mercy, you've just and judgmental. And you've judged. 
and in your judgment you've shown no mercy. Can I ask you to join me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6? I want to begin reading in verse 36, and for this reason it is perhaps amongst one of the most misused, out of context scriptures in all of the Bible. That's a pretty strong statement and introduction to the passage. But you've probably heard this in the context of giving money. Oh, this is a favorite go-to for many a televangelist. If you'll give, in fact, there's somebody out there that's got, oh, you've seen those, right? It's not money, it's mercy. That's the context. Listen to what Jesus said. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. <laughs> Do not judge and you will not be judged. Now stop right there, because this is a biggie, isn't it? Don't judge me. You're not the judge of me. To not judge does not mean you don't have judgment. I'm not judging you. I'm inspecting your fruit, as one said. And I'm looking at I'm making a judgment here that there's no fruit. Now that's different than judging someone. Because by the way, after he says this, and we'll finish reading this, but after he says this, he then talks about a very well-known illustration of, you're a hypocrite. How is it that you think you can remove the speck from your brother's eye when you have the beam from which that speck came from in your own eye, you hypocrite? You're making judgments and assessments about others, and there's no mercy. So you're quick to judge, different than judgment. And so this meter that you're using, this gauge that you're using to judge, well that's the same exact meter and gauge that you will be judged by. And he goes on to say, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. <sighs> we are so critical. We are so judgmental. We are so not merciful. Oh, we want mercy to be shown to us. But do we err on the side of an abundance of grace? Are we merciful to others? Maybe this is as good of a time as any before you finish reading this, where it would be maybe beneficial to understand what mercy really is. You know, we, we oftentimes use the words grace and mercy together, and rightfully so. Because see, grace, as one said, is God giving us what we don't deserve, and mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. 
Well, if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, I need both. <laughs> grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Well, we have a problem here because, see, you're not merciful. You need to be merciful. Instead of being merciful, you're condemning and judging and unmerciful and unforgiving. That's what he says next. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, <laughs> it will be measured to you. Are you remembering now all those times where you heard this in the context of money? Give, and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Mercy. That's mercy. Oh, I see that you've been merciful. I'm going to take now the measure of mercy that you've shown, and I'm going to take that good measure, and I'm going to pack that thing down. I'm going to shake it together so I can get more in there. And I'm going to put more so that it's actually running over, and I'm going to pour it back into your lap. Why? Because the measure you use will be the measure that is used for you. Does that change the complexion of all of this? It should. Let's take it a step further. When I show somebody mercy, what I'm saying is, I have been on the receiving end of God's mercy. And because I myself have been the recipient of mercy, I in turn am going to show you mercy. We talked about this a little bit last week. I want to spend the time on it this week, because it's roommates with forgiveness, mercy and forgiveness. Notice, forgive and you will be forgiven. Wait, is that saying that proportionate to how I forgive will be the measure in which I am also forgiven? Yes. Wait a minute. That means that if I withhold forgiveness, then with forgiveness will be withheld from me. Yes. If I withhold mercy, mercy will be withheld from me. Yes. And it's even worse than that, actually. If I'm judging and condemning, then I will be judged and condemned. Listen, <laughs> as has been said, you cannot impart that which you do not possess. Before I stand up here, as is my privilege to, I have a tally. That's actually the acronym. I do a tally on my teaching. First the T in tally, is it true? Is this the truth? It's not false, this is true. The A in tally is, is this accurate? Am I being accurate? 
And the first L in tally is, is this liberating? Because if I'm laying a heavy trip on people and the commands of the Lord are not burdensome, that's not the Lord. It's the truth when it sets you free. In fact, for me, that's the litmus test to know whether or not I've heard the truth or not. Is it the law of liberty? Do I, am I freed by it? Or have I just been put this heavy trip on because the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. We're going to see this later on in James. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then easy to be entreated. It's not this heavy trip. Jesus said, my, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. I know it's not the Lord when it's a heavy, burdensome thing that has been laid on me. So is it liberating? The second L in tally, and this is important, is it loving? Now, yes, certainly we need to speak the truth in love, but we speak the truth because we love. So not only should we be loving in the way we say what we say, but we also have to say what we have to say, because we love them enough to say it, even though they may not receive it. This is that proverb that, I mean, it's one of those, well, they're all this way. It's not a principle you break, it breaks you if you go up against it. The proverb goes like this, the wounds of a friend are faithful, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, if you really love me, you'll speak the truth to me, even if it's hurtful. In fact, <laughs> if you don't love me, you won't. Instead, out of self-love, you will tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. If you really love me, you'll speak the truth to me. This is why I know my wife really loves me, <laughs> very truthful with me. But I digress. Do you get the point? This is what James is doing here. He's speaking the truth in love because of love. Yes, initially it's going to hurt, ouch, but eventually Thank you. So here's how it works. Initially, the truth in love is going to hurt you. You might even resent it, but eventually you'll appreciate it. And conversely, flattery, multiplying kisses, only telling me what I want to hear. Initially, I'm really going to appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Tell me more. But eventually, I will resent it. Why? Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell me? Didn't you care enough? Didn't you love me enough to tell me that? Why didn't you say something? You didn't tell me this. You must not love me. And that's the truth. I don't love you. 
at least not as much as I love myself. That's called self-love. I love myself more than I love you. And I didn't want to jeopardize or risk our friendship by telling you the truth, knowing that it would hurt you, and then you would not like me, and then you'll go right home and unfriend me on social media and block me. So I didn't tell you. Well, that's not love. That's not love. That was all that to say this. In love, I have to say this as lovingly as I possibly can, that this is probably the most, if not the most, disobedient truth in God's Word. Let me try to say the same thing in a, in a different way. One need look no further than to this to realize, well, that's the problem. That explains what's happening in my marriage. That explains what's happening in my family, with my children, at the workplace, and even in the church, especially in the church. Withholding mercy, replacing mercy with judgment and condemnation, withholding forgiveness, all because we somehow forget that we have broken God's law. We're all sinners in need, desperate need of mercy. And we have been on the receiving end of, I mean, when we say and sing amazing grace, that doesn't even begin to even come anywhere close. Amazing grace. Try to define grace. I mean, we try. Yeah, it's God giving you what you, you know, don't deserve. It, we're saved by grace through faith. We've been on the receiving end. We deserve judgment. But what has God done? He's shown us mercy and forgiveness. And we're going to withhold mercy and forgiveness. Don't think for a second that God doesn't take notice of that. And I think it's demonstrated here in Luke's Gospel. And think about it like this. James is echoing the Savior's words, because you know that James was the half-brother of Jesus the Christ, born to Joseph and Mary. <laughs> Just let that sink in. How would you like to have God incarnate as your half-brother growing up? Perfect. Sinless. I don't think that Joseph and Mary compared, although it would explain James and his personality, because when you read James, you're like, whoa, this guy, this guy's got a chip on his shoulder. Well, you can't blame him. Growing up with the Savior of the world, God incarnate as your half-brother, <laughs> you know. James is echoing the words of the Savior, and he's emphasizing that we're 
all in need of mercy. We're all in need of forgiveness. And yet, what do we do? We withhold it. Or we're stingy with it. So here's the measuring cup. Yeah, not that. That's, that's too much. Here, pour something back out. Well, give me that cup, because I'm going to use that same measurement for you. Oh, if that's the case, let me bring out the, <laughs> this one, this is bigger. Oh, well, you need to use that first. Okay. We call it the Lord's Prayer, right? And I'll close with this. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord teaching the disciples to pray. And interesting, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. You ever think about that? It's one of those places in God's Word where you really would do well to ask the why question, the why behind the what. Why would they ask Jesus to teach them to pray? I believe it's because they saw Jesus pray, and they saw what happens when Jesus would pray. And the power and the, the amount of time that He would leave the multitude in all of their unmet needs to just go alone and be with the Father and pray. And they watched that. And they saw the result of that. They saw the power in that. They saw the miracles that came from that. And they wanted that. Interesting, they didn't, I probably would have done this. Jesus, instead of asking Jesus to teach me how to pray, I just said, Jesus, teach me how to preach. Because <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> I need all the help I can get. But no, teach me how to pray. Because I'm watching how you pray, and I'm watching what happens when you pray. Teach me how to pray. Okay. Our Father, which art in heaven, we could all recite it. We all know it. But there's that one part, you know which one I'm talking about. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Now, there's a couple ways you can look at that and say, wait, okay, so um, someone has trespassed against me, and I will not be forgiven of my trespasses unless I forgive them of their trespasses. Yes, but it also has a dual meaning. Because just as you were forgiven of your trespasses, you can in turn forgive those who have trespassed against you. So when you know and realize just how much you've been forgiven of, oh, I can forgive. That's the source of love too. We talked about this a little bit last week. How, how can I love my neighbor as much as I already love myself? I love me so much. Now, how am I going to love you that much? I already love myself. So now <laughs> Jesus raises the bar and says, love your neighbor as much as you already love yourself. That's kind of a tall order, until you realize that the love that you have for them is the love that you've received from the Lord. That's the source of it. 
I'm going to show you mercy. Where am I going to find that mercy? The source is the Lord's mercy to me. I'm going to forgive you. Where am I going to find the source for that forgiveness? The forgiveness that the Lord has forgiven me. Mercy, forgiveness, love. Let's go down that list as far as you want. That's how. It's the how of the Holy Spirit to do the what of the Holy Word. I know I said I would end. Okay, this will be the final end, final closing. This is the one thing that I believe is responsible, if I can say it like that, for a lot of the problems that we have in our relationships with others. You peel back all the layers, it comes down to this. All the conflict in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, it all comes down to this. Be merciful. Here's a question. It's a question I ask of myself. What would change in your circumstances if you would but show mercy to someone? Instead of what your default is, oh, you're so quick to criticize them, judge them, condemn them, look down on them. The growl gets worse the further you go down. <laughs> Emphasis added. What if instead, this is the question, what would change in that situation, in that relationship? in those set of circumstances, if your response was something like this, you know, <laughs> I'm going to humble myself. And yes, I, I have every right to stand my ground, because you've trespassed against me. But you know what? I forgive you. Sometimes that's the hardest word to say. I, 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 I forgive you. What would, ha what would happen? What would change? If, if you showed mercy to someone, you were forgiving to someone, you showed love to someone. You humbled yourself before them. Let's just talk about in the husband and wife relationship. You're, you're, you're having <laughs> an argument, you know, marital conflict. And you're going at it, man. Now as a pastor, uh, as one pastor said, pastors and their wives, they, we don't argue. We have intense fellowship. So <laughs> you're going at it. You're going back and forth. Me? What about you? That's the pot calling the kettle black. Well, I'm not going to apologize until you apologize. And you'll go days giving one another the silent treatment. Come on. What would change if you went to them and said, you know, <laughs> you're right. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgive me. 
I was wrong. The three hardest words in the English language. I was wrong. See, we won't say that because, well, takes two to tango. What about what you did wrong? No, 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 no. It's as Oswald Chambers said, it's not, have I been wronged? It's, have I wronged? Oh yeah, but you know what they did? No, 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 no. What did you do? What did you do? Oh, and by the way, uh, if I'm not mistaken, God's shown you mercy and forgiveness, and you're going to be like that? <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Be merciful to me. <laughs> Please forgive me. What would change? And, and how quickly, now it may not be so fast, because you know, if it's a marriage relationship, they're going to look at you like, what do you want? Because <laughs> what you, you do with my husband? Because that's not my husband. My husband doesn't say that. What's going on here? It's going to be, <laughs> if for no other reason, do it just for that reason, just to blow their minds. <laughs> What? Did you just say, did you just say you were wrong? It's been 25 years since you said you were wrong. Wow. Well, that changes the whole complexion. And I mean, everything changes in that situation, because now there's mercy, there's grace, there's love, there's forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit's all over that. Oh. See, before the Holy Spirit was grieved, now you give the Holy Spirit the elbow room, and the Holy Spirit just rushes in. And I mean, it just makes it all better. And sometimes it's instantaneous. What would change? Just simply showing mercy and forgiveness. Why don't you stand, Capono, come on up. Lord, this is a, <laughs> Lord, you know my heart. I did my best. Now it's up to the Holy Spirit to take it from here. And make this real in our lives and our relationships, Lord. We have been the recipients of just such mercy from You. You've been so merciful to us. Lord, we want to be merciful as You are merciful, and forgive as You've forgiven us, and love as You've loved us. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would now take this and start that process, and it is a process from the inside out, of working it into our lives, applying it to our lives. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Even though it's hard, may not want to hear it. We needed to hear this today. We needed to hear this today. Lord, thank You for Your mercy. We want to be like You, Lord, merciful. In Jesus' name.